Thank you for joining us for our first episode of the Cannabis Council Cast. My name is Emily Liangini, and I'm a partner in Errant Fox's cannabis industry practice. I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague and partner, Lynn Fiorentino, a seasoned litigator and expert on California's Prop 65, who will be helping us understand the potential impact of this law's requirements on manufacturers, distributors, and sellers of cannabis products, even the ones located outside the Golden State which is a particularly timely topic in light of the January 4th, 2021 enforcement date for the new THC and marijuana smoke listings. Thanks, Emily. I'm really delighted to join you today and look forward to our discussion. So, Lynn, I think maybe a good place to start is for you to just give us a brief overview of what Prop 65 is and what it requires. Sure. So, so Prop 65 is actually a consumer protection law that was enacted in 1986 in California, initiated by ballot initiative. And it requires that companies who are manufacturing, selling, and distributing products which are sold in California or eventually end up in California, that those companies have to disclose the presence of certain chemicals in their products. And so by the way of warnings, it really is requiring, for the most part, warnings on product packaging or on the shelf space and also on the internet. And just to give you a sense of how broad this statute is, to date, we have over 900 chemicals which are on the Prop 65 list. And that list is actually updated annually, at least, by the responsible governmental agency uh, in California known as the Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment. So every year and sometimes twice a year, they are adding chemicals to that list. And so it is actually broadening the scope of the list and therefore the compliance necessary by the companies that are selling into California. Got it. So what types of chemicals are we talking about? And are there specific requirements on how the presence of these types of chemicals need to be disclosed to consumers? Yeah, great, great questions, Emily. So essentially, the chemicals that we're talking about are ones that are known to the state of California to cause cancer or reproductive toxicity. And so the way that the state determines that is they have a set of scientists and other experts that, based on the literature, based on their expertise, determine from time to time when certain chemicals should be added to the list depending on whether the chemical is a carcinogen, a reproductive toxicant, or in some cases, both. So as I mentioned, the governmental agency, OEHA, the Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment, maintains this list of chemicals and updates them periodically at least once a year. And you can actually find the list on the website for the California Attorney General's Office, as well as the OEHA website. So it's a very visible list. And so if a company is selling a product into California... And sometimes the company won't even know, we can get into that, that the product ends up in California through the distribution chain. And if that product contains one or more chemicals on the Prop 65 list, then the company is generally required to include a specific warning on the product, its packaging, and if it's sold over the internet on the internet webpage for any product that is going into the state of California. So there's a variety of ways that you can warn. We can get into that more specifically. But in order to be deemed compliant with Prop 65, there is specific language known as a safe harbor warning, which is required on the label or on the internet webpage. So Lynn, if I'm understanding correctly, a company that is not even in California that is not even 
directly selling into California might still be subject to this law's requirements. Is that is that right? That's this is the kicker, Emily, and that's exactly what I'm saying. So we have a couple of issues going on here, which companies need to be aware of. One is with the growth of e-commerce sales, a company in in any location, any state, really even overseas, can be susceptible to Prop 65 because they are selling products into California. And so obviously with the invent of the internet, that has grown and the risk has grown as well. In addition to that, what we've also seen, and I've actually dealt with this with many clients, is they don't even know their product ends up in California. And so therefore, they don't know they're at risk. As an example, companies often use distribution centers for their products and in the supply chain. So let's just say that a manufacturer, a product manufacturer in Texas, sends products containing Prop 65 chemicals to a distribution center in Ohio That distribution center may then distribute the products all over the U.S., including into California. And sometimes the manufacturer doesn't even know that that is happening. So this is where things can get really complicated for the manufacturers and the distributors. And in essence, what it really means at the end of the day, that any company in the supply chain may not even know that its products are ending up in California. And that is where the risk becomes real. Wow. So what happens if a product is required to have a Prop 65 warning, you know, either on the label or on the website, but doesn't? What happens? So we've got a really aggressive Prop 65 plaintiff's bar here in California, and they're really looking for any opportunity that they can to go after companies that are not in compliance with Prop 65. And so if a company is required to have a warning and they don't, they are susceptible to what's known as a notice of violation from the plaintiff's bar. And that notice of violation gives them 60 days to either resolve the issue or get in compliance. And typically what we're looking at there is some kind of out-of-court settlement that will include injunctive relief, meaning the company agrees to warn or they agree to reformulate and to remove the offending chemical from the product or reduce it to a level that is considered not harmful. Now, nine times out of 10, companies are going to agree to warn because it's easier. But that can become problematic when you have, for example, food products. And in this particular space, when we're talking about cannabis, things like edibles, are cannabis companies really going to feel comfortable warning on a product that is being ingested into the human body? That raises a whole other host of concerns. But getting back to the question that you raised, Emily, about what are the risks? And in addition to the injunctive relief, if a company settles a Prop 65 notice of violation, they have to pay civil penalties. And civil penalties are based on sales of the product in the last 12 months before the notice. And so that is the number of units that the company sold into the state of California. Those civil penalties are actually only 25% of those go to the plaintiff and 75% go to the state. And then you also have plaintiff's attorney's fees, which are part of the settlement. And that's where the expense becomes more onerous, let's say, because the plaintiffs are always going to require that the attorney's fees are more than the civil penalties. And so there you're looking at you know, a variety of potential ranges of payments, depending on the plaintiffs that you're dealing with, their attorneys, how much time they've spent on the case and whether the case has gone into litigation. Wow. So that sounds like it really creates an incentive for lawyers in this in this case. Um, so, Lynn, you had mentioned or you'd referred to cannabis companies that you know market edibles and potential 
potential impact on those companies. How does Prop 65 impact cannabis businesses? Like what types of cannabis businesses are impacted by Prop 65? Great question, Emily. So so there's a host of potential candidates here. And as an example, back in 2017, we saw a flurry of Prop 65 enforcement and notices that went out, over 700 notices. And as an example, to give you kind of an idea of how varied the claims were, claims were brought against cannabis dispensaries, alleging that the products they were selling exposed consumers to marijuana smoke. And smoke has been on the Prop 65 list since 2009 as an alleged carcinogen. Going into the new year, marijuana smoke is also being added as a reproductive toxicant. So the warning is going to have to be broadened. But we also saw back in 2017, other claims that were brought against manufacturers and distributors of paraphernalia, such as smoking pipes and rolling papers. And those claims were based on, again, the, the idea that the products, or I should say the theory, that those products were going to expose consumers to marijuana smoke. Again, a carcinogen on the Prop 65 list. And then still, we saw other claims against manufacturers and distributors of things like marijuana edibles. And edibles at that point in time were being pursued for alleged pesticides. Now, going into the new year, we know that THC has been added to the Prop 65 list as a reproductive toxicant. And that is going to open up a whole host of potential claims against cannabis companies. Really, any product that has THC in it, even if it's a trace, there's going to be a risk under Prop 65. So, Lynn, it sounds like in the past, Prop 65 might have been an issue facing companies that market or sell cannabis that contains, um, you know, that relates to the smoke aspect. But now that THC is a listed chemical, it seems like a net is much broader of the types of cannabis companies. So, for example, hemp companies that have low THC or even the ones that have been processed out to, you know, where the THC has been processed out, even if there's still a trace amount, it sounds like Prop 65 might still potentially impact them. Is that right? So Emily, you're exactly right. And I, I think the key point you're driving home there is what about where there's a trace amount of THC? In that situation, the companies are still potentially at risk because we don't have any safe harbor level for THC right now. And under Prop 65, over time, the state creates safe harbor levels for different chemicals, but it's a pretty narrow list. And particularly when a new chemical has been added, a lot of times there is not a safe harbor level. So even products that have a trace amount of THC, they are going to be susceptible to Prop 65. And so we're seeing a much wider net. This is going to be an opportunity for the plaintiff's bar in Prop 65 to just go gangbusters. I mean, we're going to see it everywhere. And really, in that instance, the only solid defense you're going to have is if you're a small company and you have less than 10 employees, that is considered a defense under Prop 65. But as I'll talk about a little later, even that defense has been watered down considerably by the plaintiff's bar. And it's been much harder to actually sustain as a defendant. So Lynn, is this just for ingestible products or is it also for topicals and other types of formulations? So again, as, as you mentioned, and as I also noted, any product that has THC in it or a trace of it. So it could be topicals, it could be edibles, it could be vapes, it could be gummies. The list goes on and on. So it's really a wide range of cannabis products that, that this new listing under Prop 65 is going to impact. Wow. So what can cannabis businesses in 
including hemp businesses, do to prepare? What should they be doing? Preparation is key here. And I always say to clients, you've got to be proactive. It's really important to consult with an attorney or an expert in this area. Look at your business, figure out what you're selling. If you don't know what chemicals are in your products, you may need to test your products. You may need to prioritize testing. There's ways we can get around that and talk about it. Essentially, you want to have some kind of a compliance plan in place so that you are not susceptible to getting prosecuted with a notice of violation or, God forbid, a lawsuit. You also want to consider whether after making that analysis of your product line, does it make sense to warn? Do I need to warn? I mean, these are just some of the questions that I would go through as a lawyer in this practice space with with a cannabis company. Wow. Well, Great. Well, Lynn, thank you so much. I think we're all just about out of time. Really want to thank you for your time today. And, you know, before we close out, do you have any final words that you'd like to share with our listeners? I do. Thanks, Emily. So it's really important for cannabis companies to understand that this new listing of THC on the Prop 65 list as a reproductive toxicant, the warning requirement goes into effect on Monday, January 4th. And that's the same date that the listing for cannabis smoke as a reproductive toxicant goes into effect. So the plaintiff's bar is going to be really active and aggressive in pursuing companies that sell products containing THC or any product that could be implicated with the marijuana smoke designation into California. It's really critical that even if you don't think this law applies to you, it likely does. And it's important to be proactive and get in touch with your attorney or trusted advisor who can help guide you through the complex and frustrating at times uh, requirements of this law. So that would be my final words of advice. Terrific. Thank you again, Lynn. This was such a pleasure. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Sounds great. Thank you, Emily, for having me.